Whoops. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Somebody said they built a water holder down here. How do you get that, your water in there? Praise the Lord. How many glad you're in church and not in jail? How many glad you're in church and not in the hospital? Amen. Praise God. This morning was a lot of fun. Man, y'all need to take that back wall out, man. If you had that back wall out, you might fit them all in here. Amen. That'd be awesome. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I want to minister a message this morning on the power of teamwork. Whether you believe it or not, the kingdom of God is made up of people. I told the, the group this morning, I said, you know, the, if we were in the car business, we'd be selling cars. If we were in the food business, we would be serving food, but we're not. We're in the people business. And I love church. I love, I love people. I like being around all kinds of different people. But I always tell our, our, our people this. I said, when you get saved and you come to the kingdom of God and you look around in a church, you get all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And honestly, some of y'all wouldn't have hung around these other people if you were in the world. Amen. Now God puts you in a church like this. He puts you around people from all different kinds of backgrounds, especially where I'm from in Denver, man. There's all kinds of people groups there. But you know something? Be careful what you say about people because if God, God gets mad at you, he'll put your Bible study leader over you that you wouldn't hang out in the world with. Amen. Hallelujah. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to tell you guys, just like I told the morning service, if you say lots of amens, lots of hallelujahs, you raise your hand, maybe even jump up and dance a little bit, I won't preach that long. But if you don't, I'm going to preach till 5 o'clock. Amen. Luke chapter 5, here we go. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of the Lord, that he stood by the lake of Gisinaret, Jesus, and he saw two boats standing by the lake but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets then he got into one of the boats which was simon's and he asked them put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the multitude from the boat and when he had stopped speaking he said to simon launch out into the deep let your nets down for a catch but simon answered and said to him master we toiled all night and caught nothing nevertheless at your word i'll let down the net and when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the, both the boats, and they, were, and they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon in verse, in verse 10, he said, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. They forsook all and followed Jesus. You know, the Bible, as I was reading about Peter, Peter's one of my favorite Bible characters, amen, 
This is a guy that always put his foot in his mouth. He always would say dumb things. He was a guy, man, that in the garden, when uh, they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out a sword. I mean, he was just with them, with them for three years, preaching, preaching peace and love and, and, you know, we're going to win the world. Peter pulls out his sword and tries to take a guy's head off and chops his ear off. Peter was always in trouble. Peter denied the Lord three times that he ever knew him. And here he is, man. Jesus comes along. He had fished all night long, caught nothing. He was a horrible fisherman, kind of like me. I know there's a difference between fishing and catching. Fishing, you just, you know, you're throwing it out there. I'm all, I love fishing, man. Some people hate it. They don't have any patience for it, but I love fishing. Amen. I'll get a big cooler full of food, and I'll sit back. It's quiet, and I'll throw it out, and, and, and I'm, I'm good at fishing. I just ain't that good at catching fish. And neither was Peter, amen. And he meets Jesus, and Jesus says to him, from now on, don't worry, don't be afraid. He said, you're going to catch men. You know, Jesus could have went to the, the synagogues of the day or the religious organizations of the day and found qualified people to go out and fulfill the mission that he was looking to get fulfilled. But you know what he did? He went down where the fishermen were. I did a study on the fishermen of that generation and they were cussers. They were vile. These were guys, man, these were the truck driver fishermen of their generation. But Jesus went down there and he went to those men. And let me tell you something. God always takes those things that the world despises, those things that the world hates, those things that if you were on fire, they wouldn't spit on you to put the fire out. God uses those people in the kingdom of God. I was thinking about fishermen or fishing, and, you know, as a fisherman, you use all kinds of uh, baits to lure fish. I grew up in California. We used to fish in the ocean. It's, it's kind of crazy. You, you just throw meat on there and throw it out. You don't know what you're going to catch. I'd catch sharks and stingrays, and you pick it. It was always something out there. But we use different types of bait, different tackle, uh, rod and reel, nets, harpoons. I even saw a guy throw dynamite off of a boat into the water and blow some fish up, and they, they floated to the surface. I, I saw a study of, uh, about a primitive uh, tribe that would crush a plant that was poisonous and throw it in the water, and the fish would come to the surface. If you stay in this church any length of time, you're going to find out that we'll do whatever it takes to reach people. We will. We'll do whatever, to, whatever works. When I visit other churches, when I come to churches like this or I go to other churches, I'm looking to see what people are doing. What's working? What, what's, the, what's the temperature? What are people saying? I want to I reach people. I want to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and he, re, and he goes out. And he blesses these guys. They get a whole boatload of fish. But what does the Bible say? They forsook all. That means they left their jobs, they left their families, and they followed Jesus. There's a principle in that here in a minute I'm going to share with you. In Philippians chapter 2, if you turn over there with me. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I don't hear no pages turning, but I'm going to read it. It says, therefore... If there is any consolation of Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse 4, and let each of you 
Look out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you look at the early church, they would say things like, be like-minded or have the same love. Be of one accord. Be of one mind. And, and if, you, if you study out the, the, the early church, they, these people, man, they thought alike. They talked alike. They acted alike. Acts 2.16 said they had a, a singleness of heart. In our generation today, when you talk like that, people think you're a cult. You know what I'm saying? Because we're kind of a rebellious generation. I don't know if you don't know that or not. We're pretty rebellious. People don't like to be told what to do. I was sharing with the, the men the other day in the discipleship that a lot of men in our generation have a very difficult time being told what to do. Because about 80% of the men in this country grew up without a father or they grew up with an abusive father. It's unfortunate, but that's our society. Statistically, 75% of all men that have ever went to prison didn't have a father growing up. I'm not whining for them. What I'm saying is there was no example there. There was no godly figure in the home. And it's not an excuse to act like an idiot, but, but we're missing something in our society. And so when young men give their lives to Jesus Christ, especially men, especially men, they have a very difficult time being discipled and trained and, and God using their lives because they don't like being told what to do. I was one of them. Amen. Who's he talking to? Why does that pastor say that? What's wrong with him? Right? The Bible says they thought the same. They talked the same. They believed the same. Their sole purpose was to win the world for Jesus. Amen? Their sole purpose. When I think about the kingdom of God and I think about discipleship and I think about the church, I kind of look at it in terms of, uh, of, of a being a team or a team effort, amen, or the power of a team. Because there's something spiritual and, and, and in the natural also about teamwork. I love being a part of teams. When I, was, when I was coming up as a kid in junior high, high school, college, and even into the military, I, I, had a, I did have a kind of a teamwork mentality. I like working together with people. I like having a good coach or, or a good uh, a sergeant or someone who worked over in my life. There was something about it. There was something about being a part of a group, something exciting about it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you guys know this text. It says they were in one place, in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. And it came in and filled the place. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And if you, if you, if you study that early church, what happened there, they immediately went from there and began to go out and preach the gospel. And the Bible says within two years they had reached the entire known world. And, and I was thinking about it. You know, they had no tracks. No Bibles, just the Old Testament. No planes, no cars, no bikes, no transportation. They had their feet and their mouths and an experience with God, and they had a camaraderie. There was this, there was this koinonia. It's a word, a 50-cent word, koinonia. They were a part of something. And they went out, and the Bible says within two years, they reached the entire known world. That's phenomenal. That's exciting to me. I was reading some time ago about, I was looking at this, this whole concept of unity and pulling together. One of the brothers the other day uh, talked about uh, the scripture that says one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about teamwork in a church. I'm talking about getting involved. And 
I read about horse a horse pull contest. I've never been to one, but I read when they're trying to, to have a contest to see what horse is the strongest, if you take one horse and it can pull 8,000 pounds and another horse wants to compete with that horse and he pulls 9,000 pounds, you would think you put them together, 17,000 pounds, right? But you would be wrong. Because if you take those horses and you put them together, they can pull over 28,000 pounds. That's 11,000 pounds over what they could do individually. That's why Pastor always said to us, we can do more together than we could ever do individually. Churches, unfortunately though, churches are filled up with people. I'm not saying this church here, it's the one down the street. Churches are filled up with people, man. They come to church, <coughs> they love the Lord, but they don't get involved. They don't feel the responsibility. There's no, there's no, you know, like, let so-and-so do it. Let the pastor do it. Let the leaders do it. So they'll come. They'll get fed. They'll feel good about it. They'll get them Holy Ghost goosebumps if it's a good service, right? And they get what they want from God, and then they go home and live their lives. But every single person in this room that's looking at me right now, and I see a lot of eyeballs, every one of you are called into the ministry. Every one of you. Amen. When Jesus gave the mandate, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not preachers and evangelists. That's everybody. We're all called to reach people. We're all called to be fishers of men, catchers of men, reaching people, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. Everybody in this place should have an urgency to see people's lives change. And I, I got to tell you, somebody witnessed to you. Somebody Somebody prayed for you. You know, I know some people, they, maybe you don't have a big family. You don't, you don't have anybody you think prayed for you. God woke somebody up in Indonesia. Or God woke somebody up in China and said pray. And they began to pray. And somewhere along the line, you got saved and gave your life to Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility to tell people about Christ. You know, in any church that has a heart for the lost. And any church that wants to reach the world for Christ, there has to be this kind of a team mentality of pulling together. Because individually, we're not going to do much. We won't do much if everybody just comes to church. And unfortunately in America, there's a lot of churches like that. Everybody shows up on Sunday. You don't even know. You maybe know a few people, but most people don't know each other, right? They don't have, they don't have relationships with each other. And they'll come to church and then that's it. Did you know across this country, I think it's almost, I don't know what the statistic is anymore, but the majority of Christians in this country have never won a single soul to Christ, never prayed with a person to receive Jesus. And really, according to the book of Acts, that's what all of us are called to do. Did you know that? We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to tell people about Jesus, whether it's embarrassing, whether we were rejected. You know, I, I was telling the service this morning, I said, who cares what people think about y'all? Do you care what people think about you? They don't like you anyway, and I don't like them. Amen? I want to win them to Jesus. Right? In Acts chapter, or actually Amos 3, 3, it says, can two walk together unless they agree? If you go to any church, anywhere, you're going to find believers in that church who do not believe in the vision of that church. Our, our vision is evangelism, discipleship, church planning, or reach, teach, send. We raise up men and women right in our own congregations. We don't send them off to Bible school. 
I know some people are they're, they're infatuated with Bible schools, amen? It's a sterile environment, amen? Jesus didn't send them off to the seminaries or cemeteries. He, he discipled them. What is discipleship? You know what discipleship is? It's where you're one-on-one with someone, and you see. You know how I learned to pray? I went in the prayer room at church and listened to people pray. I listened to my pastor pray. You know how I learned to trust God and believe God and learned about faith? I learned from people in church who had big faith. How did I learn how to be a giver? How did I learn how to witness? How did I learn how to do anything for God? I got around people who knew how to do that. I, I forced myself to watch and listen. Amen. You, you, you catch more in the kingdom of God than you're taught. We need to be taught, but we need to catch it. You catch it. And that's the thing that's missing in the church is people aren't catching because some of the preachers aren't sending out anything they can catch amen i i can't believe some of these some people that i see that i mean they get behind a pulpit they're not really pastors they're just some some teacher so they get up you can't even meet that pastor you can't even talk to that pastor you know he's got armed guards in the front you can't get near him you can't call him you can't get him to pray for you there's no relationship there that's not how jesus did it it was one-on-one he was with them he was in the trenches with them are you still with me amen but I noticed that a lot of believers, they're not like-minded. They don't, you know, they, they don't think the same. So they'll be in your church and they'll give you an amen and like you're doing right now and say yes, yes, yes. But you, listen, they don't agree with the direction the church is going. They don't agree with many of the things that are happening, but they like the praise and worship. Or they just come, right? But you can tell that they don't agree by their lack of participation or their lack of passion in helping you bring that vision to pass. God gives a church a vision. This vision that we have is not like Pastor Blake's vision. This vision is Bible. Amen. This is Bible. It's always been Bible. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is, the, what is preaching? It's a proclamation. It's lifting your voice. Some of you young ones, man, when you go to school, man, you ought to go to school, man, and get up there and jump up on a table. And say, hey, I got a message. I want to tell you guys what God did for me. Hey, man, you'll rock some people. You'll rock, their, you'll rock some folks' world. They may mock you, make fun of you, but I jump up on it anyway and start telling them what God did for you. God will change your life. Listen, when I first got saved, I started implementing the things that I learned in church. So I saw my pastor pray for the sick. I said, well, if he can pray for the sick, I can pray for the sick. So I used to work construction at a construction site uh, doing concrete. Everybody there had back problems. Everybody was always talking about, I got to go to the doctor. I got to go to the chiropractor. I got surgery or whatever. So I'm in the day room one time, and I heard this dude talking, and he says, yeah, man, I got, I got back problems. I think I'm going to have to go in. I might have to get surgery. And uh, everybody was in there getting their time card stamped. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, your back's messed up, huh? He says, Yeah. I say, hey, sit in that chair. Let me check and see if one of your legs is longer than the other. You know, chiropractors say that, that if your back is bad, one, will be, one leg will be longer than the other. He goes, okay. He sat in the chair. All these guys were in there. I said, in the name of Jesus. And that leg went whoo, and shot out. The pain left. He took off running out of the day room. All the men that were in there, the power of God fell down in that day room, and men ran in different directions. For like two weeks, nobody would talk to me. They saw me walking on the hall. They would go this way. Dude, he didn't have to get surgery. That Was I special? No. I just, I just implemented what I saw at church. I prayed like he did. Amen. With all the spit and everything. And you know how they, like that? I was just copying what they did. That's called discipleship. 
According to the book of Acts, we're called to work together. When pastor got up here and said everybody needs to get involved, it's not a cliche. We're all called to be involved. Amen? In Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, you read the story of Moses and Aaron and Hur. God had commanded them to defeat uh, one of the enemies of God, the Amalekites. And the Bible says that they went to face off with each other. And up on a mountain above the battle, Moses went up on the hill. And he took two of his most important disciples, Aaron and Hur. He went up on the mountain. And he stood up on the mountain. And every time that Moses would lift his hands to God, the, the people of God would win the battle. Every time his arms got tired and they began to fall down, the Amalekites would begin to win. And they took two rocks and put them under his arms to try to hold him up. But over time, he got tired. It's a lot of work for one person. And those two men came beside him and began to pick his arms up and pull, held him into the air. And they, and they won. They won the battle. Listen, there's a principle there. Everybody, everybody needs a pastor or a coach, I believe. In a minute, I'm going to talk to you about teamwork, and I'm going to talk to you about coaching. I call it coaching. I hate the term. Amen. But everybody needs a good coach. How many believe that? Everybody needs a good pastor. A good pastor will speak into your life and sometimes kick your hiney. I was going to say another word, but I didn't because I'm saved. Without Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands, they'd have lost the battle. It was God's plan for Aaron and her to be there. It's God's plan for you guys to be here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says there were 500 men and women that followed Jesus. He told them to go up into the upper room and pray because I'm going to send the promise of the Father to you. And I want you to go up there in agreement. There was something, there was a principle there that he was trying to establish with them. A pulling together. So they went up into the upper room and it whittled down to 120 people. Everybody else, 320, took off. And they went up there, and they were in, the Bible says they had one mind. They were in one accord. They were in total agreement. They didn't actually know what was about to happen. All they knew is Jesus said, go up there and pray. I'm going to go up to heaven, and we're going to send the promise of the Father. I don't think they had a clue what was coming. All they did was they were in agreement. They, they had the same mind, a same heart. They wanted to reach the world. They wanted to touch lives. And they went up there, and the Bible says, suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind, and the power of God came down and fire and baptize them in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden Peter Peter the knucklehead Peter who tried to cut a guy's head off Peter man who always made bad choices Peter who denied the Lord all of a sudden got a fire and begins to preach his very first sermon 3,000 people got saved out of all the disciples he would probably be in everybody else's eyes the most least likely guy to do something for God. He had just denied Jesus three times publicly in front of everybody. They came up to him and said, said, aren't you one of his disciples? I don't know what you're talking about. He goes the other way. Goes over to another barrel where there's a fire warming himself. Someone says, I know you're a, you're a Galilean. You're, you're one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. The third time, the Bible says they came up to him and said, aren't you with Jesus? And the Bible says he started cussing. He was with Jesus for three years. Now he's cussing. You would think that out of all the disciples, maybe John would have been the one that he would have used, but it wasn't. It was Peter. God is in the business of taking broken, beat-up people and using him for his, for his glory. Amen? I had the privilege of being a part of nine different, I, I tried to add it up, nine different uh, teams you could call it 
it was in high school, in junior high, college, and in the military. The most successful groups of people that I ever worked with were the ones that had no superstars and no lone rangers. These were, these were the ones that when they got together, it was a team effort. We pulled together. We were all one. We were in one accord. The military was a transforming time for me in my life because I was very rebellious when I, when I, gave, when I got in the military. I joined. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I was homeless. I joined the military. I get into the military, and, and I shared this with the men uh, the other day, but this is the thing that blew my mind about the military. When we showed up there at the, I, I don't know, the, 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 the transfer station, the place where all the men show up. So everybody shows up. Y'all got, we all had suitcases back in the day. There was guys there that had long hair, hippies, guys with afros, people that were cowboys. There was uh, people from New Jersey, people from Florida. There was Puerto Ricans. I'd never even seen a Puerto Rican. There's no Puerto Ricans in California. I didn't know that. It was all his Mexico Mexicans in California. And I didn't even know. I saw this Puerto Rican guy, and he was talking real fast. I said, what is that? He said, I'm Puerto Rican. They're pretty cool people, though. But anyways... I saw all these different groups of people, man. We were all independent. We were all separate. We were all different. We were from all kinds of different backgrounds. First thing the drill sergeants did was take us to get a haircut. Zoop, we all got snipped. Ever since then, I've kept my hair short. Amen. We zipped, he zipped us. We all looked the same. And, and, and as a joke, the, the barber would say to every guy when he came in, how would you like your haircut? And these dummies who didn't know what was going on, yeah, just take a little off the side, and he'd go right down the middle. Boop. Then after that, they took us out to get uniforms, and the uniforms were all the same. So what did they do to us? They made us all look the same, and they made us all dress the same. And for the next eight to nine weeks of the hardcore basic training, they wanted us to work together, to, to become a team. And they broke us up into platoons. I was in second platoon. I don't know why I always end up in the worst groups, but I was, I was the group of idiots. I was part of the group of all the thugs and the guys that were always in trouble. And at the beginning of basic training, we were always in trouble. As a matter of fact, they would put guys in charge, you know, to get them some training how to, how to be in charge. And I beat up two of them and got in trouble and almost went to jail. One of them came up to me, man, when I was shining my shoes and started telling me what to do. Pop! I popped him. Then they took me downstairs. A drill sergeant said, you're going to prison. I wasn't going to prison. He was just, he knew what he was going to do. He, 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 was, he knew I was rough stuff, and he wanted to work with me. He wanted to help me. He used to take me out of formations, man, and make example of me. Like one time, there was probably a 1,000 guys in a room. And uh, they would, what they would do is they would, they would keep us up till 2 o'clock in the morning yelling and screaming at us. And then at 4 o'clock in the morning, wake us up to run 5 miles. Then take us after we ran 5 miles and rolled around in the dirt to go, go sit in a desk and listen to them talk about the military. And we were all falling asleep. And then one of the drill sergeants comes in with some keys. He walks down the middle aisle and slams them on the podium and said, One of you guys left your keys out in your lock, and now I'm going to punish every one of you. And everybody's looking for their keys, you know, because we don't know each other. None of us know each other. I don't have my keys. And I said, what? Where's my keys? It was me. You know what they did? They went to my locker. They took my soap. They took everything, and they spread it all over. They destroyed that open bay. They, they, they smeared my shampoo all over the floors. They, they trashed it. And then when we got back upstairs and everybody saw what was going on and we're going to have to spit shine this place, they were all screaming and cussing, wanting to know who was responsible. And, you know, I, I was just like, it was me. And everybody's screaming and, and are coming at me. I started crying and going, come on. Come on, I'll fight you all. Amen. <laughs> I don't know if you were crazy like that with me. I wanted to fight the whole, all of them. 
Amen. And you know something, though? Basic training transformed me, man, but it didn't build character in me. It helped me to understand discipline. But it wasn't until I got saved that I began to understand this whole principle of teamwork. I did it because they were going to punish me and uh, they were going to send me to jail or they were going to torment me or somehow they would always stop me and make me do push-ups, make me do push-ups, make me do push-ups. I did thousands of push-ups. Marshall, push-ups! they drop and do push-ups. After a while, I got so good with push-ups, they made me do sit-ups because push-ups were too easy. But you know, when I got saved and I gave my life to the Lord, this whole principle that I'm sharing with you right now, I saw that this was a biblical thing. This is something that all of us are supposed to wrap our minds around. Amen? This whole principle of teamwork. When I, got, when I gave my life to the Lord and I began to serve God and we were going along, I, I eventually became a Bible study leader. And I went to my first Bible study meeting. There was 50 guys there that were Bible study leaders. There was such a camaraderie. There was such a, a, a pulling together. It was a mind blower to me. I saw these men. They were self-motivated. They were excited about what God was doing. They wanted to see their Bible studies grow. They wanted to go pastor churches. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. I grew up around selfish people. Selfish, self-centered people that only cared about themselves. And these guys were excited about it, man. And when there was an altar call at church, and the pastor would pull an altar call, say 15, 20 people got saved, these men would, women would come down and fight for the converts. Amen. Excuse me, excuse me. Hey, you want to go to my Bible study? Hey, you want to go to my... There was this competition that kind of built up with them. And you know something? That was something I could relate to. And it made me, I was excited about what was happening. And the very first conference that I went to, a conference is when we meet together. All our churches come together. Overseas representatives come from our churches. And at that conference, all week long, different people preach the gospel to us, man. You get a different flavor from all kinds of different backgrounds. At the last night, the Friday night, if you've never been there, we plant new churches. We take men and women out of church that we discipled, and we send them into the farthest reaches of the planet, amen, to preach this gospel. The very first conference I went to transformed my life. I thought to myself, this is what I've been looking for all my life. I've been looking. I wanted to be a part of something. I've been a part of all these different things in life that left me empty. And now I realize this is, what, this is what I needed. This is what God himself wanted me to do, to be a part of something bigger than me. And that's exactly what God wants to do with all of you. Amen. You might have come in this place and, and you think you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. Hope you don't want to be a politician. You might want to be whatever, right? And maybe that's good to make money. But there's a call of God on your life. Listen to me. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Let me tell you something. God's got a future for you. While you were still in your mother's womb and God was forming and shaping and molding you, he had a plan for your life. We, we, got off, we get off track. We run off and do our own thing. Maybe we don't grow up in the right environment, whatever excuse we might have. But somewhere along the line, God, the Holy Ghost, will send somebody your way. It happened to me when I was going into a liquor store. And I was 19 years old. I had a bunch of guys with me, uh, the, these Polynesian guys. We were going into a, into a liquor store to buy some liquor. And there's this, this guy standing on the sidewalk. And he wouldn't let anybody get by to go to the liquor store without taking a gospel track. And I, and I walked by this guy, and then I stopped. And I took the track. All my friends went in to get liquor. But I took it because I was interested. At that time, I was 19 years old. I was homeless. I'd been living on the streets for two years. 
sleeping in sheds and car, cars, wherever I could, amen. So I, I dropped out of college. I, I was a mess, man. And this guy began to share the gospel with me. I had never heard that in my life. I didn't know Jesus died on the cross for me. I didn't know I could be free. I didn't know God could change my life. And, man, that guy began to preach to me. Man, I, have, I felt chills. And he told me, and I'm looking at, I can, in my mind right now, even after all these years, I still see that track. It was Jesus on a cross on this track. And I couldn't look him in the eye. I was so embarrassed because of all the things I had done. And he, he said, would you like to know Jesus? You can know him right now. I said, I want to know. And he said, pray with me. And I held his hand right in front of that liquor store while all my friends are in there. And I prayed. And I felt something come out of me. I felt something leave me. Amen. And my friends came out of the liquor store with all the beer and whiskey or whatever they had. And they came out and they go, what are you doing? Because they saw me. I said, I got saved. And they said, what's that? I said, I'm not sure. Because the dude forgot to tell me why I did it and what it was or to go to church. It's honest truth. I don't know what, I just figured I got saved. He, he walked away, and those guys said, you got saved, let's celebrate. And we went out and got drunk. <laughs> it took six years for me to finally get, for the Holy Ghost to corral me into a church. Amen? But the seed was planted. What if that guy never made that, never went out that day? What if he decided that day he was tired? What if he'd said that day, you know what, that's the pastor's job, that's not my job. What if he never would have told me about the Lord? I would be dead in prison. My life would have been over. I would have lost my wife, my marriage, everything. And I want to tell you something. That seed that that guy planted in my life, that seed that he put into my heart, man, it germinated. It began to grow because now when I go out and get drunk, now when I go out and do stupid things, I, I had a conscience. Before I had no conscience. Now I got a conscience. I'm out doing things I shouldn't be doing, and I feel terrible about it, and I don't even know why. I don't know why I feel like this. Why do I feel like this? And, and, and you know, it was like the Holy Spirit was dealing with me that I needed, to, I needed to get my heart right, but I didn't know how to do that. That's why I said when I got saved, my wife and I came to this church. We came and we sat about the second row. We walked into this church, man. It was a total mind blower to me. But I knew from the moment that we, we, we went through the first doors of that church that something was there. There was an, a presence. There was something. It was, it was a scary thing for me at first. We walked down that aisle. Those ushers sat us down. And we looked around, and we had never seen anything. Either one of us had ever seen anything like that. I had never seen people, man, that were in such agreement. They were, they were smiling. They were happy. And, when they, and, and people were, sh all these people wanted to shake my hand. And I, was, and I was kind of a standoffish person, you know what I mean? I didn't like people touching me. And I, I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I was just kind of weird like that. And I didn't want people touching me. I honestly thought the whole place was gay. I thought these people, man... All these dudes want to come up and shake my hand and get close to me. I said, what's wrong with these people? But if that wasn't the case, amen, these people loved me. These people reached out to me and my wife. I had a coach, a wrestling coach, when I was coming up. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about coaching because there is a spiritual and a physical, uh, it relates Amen. I had this coach. He was hardcore. This is back when coaches could actually lump you up. Amen. Back in the day. Today, I was telling somebody in the military, they hold up these stress cards. I, I don't understand what moron came up with this idea. The militaries of the world laugh at us. 
So our guys in basic training today, if they're stressed out, they're stressed out, they can go, they can hold up a stress card and say, you're stressing me out. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Amen. This wrestling coach, man, he didn't care. He didn't care what was going on in your life. He didn't care if you were in pain. He didn't care what was going on. If there was a match and you were going to wrestle, you were there. And I had a fever of 102. And we had a vital match with another uh, school that was one of our rivals. And uh, so I'm sitting on the bench. I'm the first one that's about to go out. And uh, he looks over at me, and, man, I'm sweating. I got this fever. If, I bet you today if I had 102 fever, everybody would run out of this puppy right now, man, and throw masks on and start throwing alcohol all over yourselves. Amen. But it was just the fever. And, I, and this guy, man, the coach picked me up, and he says, you ready? You ready? Boom! He smacked me across the face. I saw stars, man. I was, like, looking like this. And he says, and he's screaming at me, get out there! I kind of liked it. <laughs> I went out there and I annihilated him. It was awesome. And then I went and got sick. But, but there was something about being a part of a team like that. There was something about being a part of a group. I was telling Pastor, I said, throughout the years with this coach, he would do things like I broke my hand. I broke my finger uh, and I had it in a splint. I showed up right before the finals. It was in 10th grade. I, I showed up for the finals and I had a splint. And I said, I can't wrestle. He said, take that stupid thing off. And he took it off and taped it up. You can't do that today. People be suing people. But he took it off. And I took third place with one arm. And everybody I wrestled was trying to grab my arm. Amen. I wish it was MMA. So I could do that, but I couldn't. But, but I took third place. Amen. He would do things like that. But you know what that did to me? Even though that wasn't a, a carnal physical thing, it made me, it gave me a tenacity, a, a desire to push things through. I wasn't going to let sickness or pain or hurt or those things keep me from what I needed to do. And now in the spiritual realm, listen, I got a pastor like that. Uh, my pastor, man, let me tell you something. My pastor is the kindest person on the planet and the meanest person on the planet. He knows how to slap your lips off and send you packing and then knows how to love you. But you know something? I needed a man like that in my life. And every one of you need a man like that in your life. He's not going to come in here and start slapping you. But let me just tell you this. Everybody needs a pastor. Every Christian needs a coach. Every Christian needs somebody that will speak into their lives. And you know what they do? Someone who will push you beyond what you think you're capable of. Because every one of us have our limitations and we think I can't do that. He'll push you beyond your limitations. Someone who'll challenge you, motivate you, sometimes correct you, sometimes rebuke you, but push you past what you can do. You know, in uh, 2002, I, I, my, I lost my 17-year-old son. My 17-year-old son died in 2002 uh, during the week, and I was totally devastated. My wife and I were devastated. Less than a week after my son died and the funeral was over with, and I was totally tore up. I was actually on staff at the church. Um, he came to me and said, I want you to preach on Wednesday night. It wasn't, would you preach? I want you to preach on Wednesday night. And at first, man, I thought it was cruel. And I thought, man, why is he making me do that? Why is he making me do that? You know, I'm in my little wimpy mind. I'm thinking, you know, I'm in pain. I'm suffering. He knew that if I didn't get back in the saddle, if I didn't get back up again, I might never get up again. And I want to tell you the truth. I got up and I preached a message. I preached a message on the love of God. 
And that, that was probably the best sermon I ever preached because I understood, man, what pain was and understood what love was. And that, that man doing that to me in my life, I've been able to, to go through anything, man. If I can go through that, I can go through anything. Amen? Listen, I want to tell you, God wants to use your life. The problem with our generation is that we're not self-motivated. We're not. We don't have the drive that previous generations had. When I gave my life to the Lord, I wanted to be involved. I know I had lots of problems. I struggled. I had issues. I was up and down, in and out. But in my heart, I wanted to be a part of what God was doing. It was something that was real. It was bigger than me. Pastor, you always used to say to me that this is, this is, this is bigger than us. We're part of something. And I want to tell you, God wants to use your life, young person. You may, maybe your friends, your, your family, maybe tell you that, you know, you're useless. I, all, all, the whole time I was growing up in my home, violence and, and alcohol in my home, I was always told I was a worthless. I was worthless. My mother used to tell me I wish you were dead all the time. She wishes I was dead. She, she, she actually abandoned me as a teenager. I lived on the street. But she got saved later. Amen. But listen. I don't care what people said about you, and I don't mean to be cruel, but I want to tell you, it only matters what God says about you. I told you earlier, in Jeremiah, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God knows it's a wicked world. God knows you and I have gone through all kinds of craziness. He knows that we've, some of us are broken. Some of you that come in here, man, you look good, you're dressed up, but in here, you're broken. You got, you got all kinds of things. You have no self-esteem. There are people in here right now, you have absolutely no self-esteem because you've always been told that you can't do it. 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 But if you ever pick up the word of God and you begin to apply it to your life, you're going to find out something. God says you can. He says you can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens you. There, there are men in this place right now, God's had his hand on your life. He wants to use you. He wants to use you and pastor a church. Maybe be a missionary. Some ladies in here, man, listen. I'm telling you the truth. If you're looking for a husband, you better, you better look for one that prays and reads and has a call of God on his life. Don't missionary date, I call it. That's what they do. Some ladies at my church do. They go find some dude off the street, bring him into the church, and try to get him, get him on fire for God. It never hardly works. He still smells like cigarettes and alcohol when he gets in there and she thinks she's going to fix him. No, find you somebody that loves God. You know where you find a husband or a wife? In the prayer room. Amen? Let's pray. We're going to pray. Amen? I want to I wanna ask you to bow your heads with me all over this place. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious people, those that are watching online. Lord, I thank you. That the call of God isn't just for a select few people. It isn't for the elite. It's for everybody. Whosoever, the Bible says. Whosoever. Billy Graham used to always bring up John 3.16 and he would say, For God so loved the world. He says, you can take that, the world out, put your name there. For God so loved Reuben. For God so loved Joe that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm here to tell you, you may have, you may have aspirations of, 
of, of some kind of a career. You may have all these dreams and things that you want to do in life. That's all fine. But God has a plan for your life, too. And that plan is more important than any other plan you could ever have in your life. Everything that I've ever done in life left me empty until I surrendered my life to Christ. And I said, Jesus, use me, please. Take what's broken. Take what's messed up. Take what's tore up from the floor up and use me. I want to ask all over this place with no one looking around. Maybe you've never made a decision for Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life. You might have, you know, you might know the Bible. You might come to church off and on, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. There's a difference. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. You accept what he did on the cross, and you invite him into your heart, and that, from that moment, God begins to make a transformation. If that's you in this place with no one looking around, please, you're here and you're not saved. You don't know the Lord, but you want to know him. You want to be, you want to know Christ. Would you just quickly hold your hand up, wave it at me, put it right back down. God bless you, brother. How many others all over this place say, I need Jesus. I want to be saved. Maybe you're backslid. Maybe you had a relationship with Christ. Somebody hurt you. You got violated and you ran from the church. Now here God is, God's, the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart again. He's saying, come home. Come home, prodigal. Come home. Come on, if you're backslid and away from God, hold your hand up and say, hey, by an uplifted hand, you're saying, you know what? I want to be included in that prayer. Hold it up. Put it right back down. Come on, quickly. Don't leave out of here the same way you came in. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together. Sir, can I pray for you? You lifted your hand. Can you come down? I'd like to pray for you. Amen. God bless you. I need an altar worker. Come help me out. Okay. Praise the Lord. That right there could be the next Billy Graham. I want to ask all over this place. You're here. Men and women, you've never, you've never publicly told the Lord, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'll do it. You've never made that commitment and say, God, whatever, however you want to use me. If you want to use me in the ministry somewhere, you want to use me here in church, I'm available. I'm, I prayed that prayer at a conference. From my heart, I said, God, whatever the pastor asked me to do, I make a commitment that I'll do whatever he asked me to do. I, from my heart, made that commitment. And, man, it's been a ride. Amen? But let me tell you something. There are people in this place, man, you have so much potential, tremendous potential. You're not outside the box. God has his hand on your life. He wants to use you. He wants to, he wants to take you places you've never been to do things you've never done, transform you. I know it sounds kind of scary, but let me tell you something. When God's in it, it ain't scary. Or if you are scared, do it scared, like Mario said. But I want to I challenge everybody in this room. You feel the call of God. Maybe it's to some type of a ministry. But you, in your heart, you know God's tugging on your heart. I want you to come out of your seat, everybody, and come stand up here. I want to pray for you. If you have a call of God on your life, you feel like God's got his hand on your life. As these ladies sing, come out of your seat. Don't let fear keep you from going. Who cares who you're with? Come. Come on. Just to be close to you, just to be close to you.
be close to you is my desire just to be close to you just to be close to you just to be close to you is my desire come on let's lift our hands come on just to be close to you just to be close to you just to be close to you is my desire come on there's still room come just on to be close to you just to be close to you just to be close to you is my desire you know i know that there are people here and you're probably wondering to yourself how could god use my life how could god use me the most amazing thing about isn't the most thing amazing thing about god is he likes to take those people man that the world gives up on and use them for his glory there's a brother that came to church his name his name was uh, manny de herrera and uh he walks into the church and he eventually wants to be involved in ministry. And back in the day, we used to do background checks on him because uh, we were taking him into prisons and different places to try to, uh, to reach people, and they had to pass a background check. So I went to do a background check, and, and I was printing up his criminal record. And, and five minutes went by, 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes went by, 30 minutes went by. I thought the copier was broken. It was, and I went to look at it, and... He had 56 convictions, not 56 arrests, 56 convictions. He had hepatitis C. He'd been to prison four times, right? I like him because he's, he's one inch shorter than me. <laughs> but this dude, man, when he got saved, he got it. He got it, man. He was excited. He was full of faith. He said, God's going to use my life. God's going to use my life. If anybody should have felt like nobody could use his life, it would have been Manny. But you know something? He met a girl in Breakaway who came from a good family, a girl that didn't have any background. She was very sweet. And one day they came up to me and said, hey, uh, we want to get married. And I was like, I was pretty, back then I was a little more gruff than I am now. Right, Mario? I said, did you tell her you got hepatitis C? <laughs> And she said, he told me, but we're trusting God. Before the wedding, he's going to be healed. Amen. I have to admit, I didn't have their faith. <laughs> but you know something? Several months later, I, several months later, man, they came to me with a letter. I think I might still have it. And that letter said, it was from the doctor that he got the original test from, that said they could find no trace of hepatitis C in his blood system. Amen. You know what happened? One day, man, Pastor Jones sent Pastor Manny now and his wife to pastor a church. They pastor in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Amen. That's not even the greatest miracle. Here's the miracle. How does a dude with 56 convictions get a job, right? How does he support his wife? He started cleaning houses with his wife. She had a house cleaning business. So he would go with her. Eventually, he took over the business. And he was such an outgoing guy, so full of the Holy Ghost, so full of God, that everybody wanted to hire him. In fact, he started cleaning banks, B-A-N-K, banks. 
and they would give him the key and the code to the banks. So he would go in. Here's a guy with 56 convictions, convictions, four times in prison. And I talked to him the other day. I said, do you still clean banks? He goes, yeah. <laughs> Amen. They don't, they don't do background checks. If they did, they might freak out a little bit on him. Who did that? He did that. God takes the lonely, the depressed, the beat down, the kicked in the, to the curb. He takes those people and he uses them for his glory. Because you know why? He gets the glory. When Jesus came on the scene, he didn't go to the, to the, the elite of his generation. He didn't go to, the, to the, the, the Pharisees or the universities of the day. Where did he go? He went down to the filthy fishermen. Hands smelling stinky like fish. And he said... You're no longer going to be a fisher of fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You know what God wants to do? You know God wants to make you a fisher of men, young man. You know that? God wants to use your life. God's got his hand on your life. Amen? He really does. God's got his hand on your life. He wants to use you, man. You have a lot of influence, and I'm going to tell you something. If you'll make a decision, I mean, I mean, all out, go out for God, God will use you to touch a lot of people, man. you got a good heart, man, but I'm going to tell you, God wants to use you. When I, I wish that a man would have came to me when I was his age and would have came up to me and told me, God wants to use your life, man. I, I, I wouldn't have had so much pain and heartache growing up and all these setbacks and things that I did. But I'm telling you, God wants you to avoid that. He wants to use you, man. I don't know if you're involved in the youth here, but they got an awesome youth group. First time, oh, man, I'm sorry. Amen. No, I'm not sorry. I'm glad you're here. Amen. 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 What's your name? Father, I lift this young man before your throne. God, and I know that, that you're looking for good men. I ask you to use this young, this young man, God. Put your hand upon his life, God. Give him a desire to go after you, to, to seek your face. Use him, God, to influence. Give him the gift of influence, I pray, for your glory, to reach people. Have you ever, have you ever made a decision for Jesus? Have you ever surrendered your heart to him? Have you ever thought about it? Not at all? Are you thinking about it now? Hallelujah. Pastor, you're going to pray this time. These are your men and women. Amen. Come on up here. And um, we're going to pray for you. I'm going to tell you right now, this place is, is dripping with potential. Even you. Tremendous potential. Amen. I don't care what the past is. I'm telling you right now, man, God's got his hand on your life. God's going to use you to reach people that are strung out. Amen. I know you're, you're, you're struggling right now, but I can tell you right now, God's got his hand on you. You're just like me. You're actually, you're me, younger. You're a younger version of me. Amen. And when I came to church and I was messed up and I was struggling, you know, with drugs and alcohol, I still, you heard me tell my testimony, three or four months I came to church, I was still getting drunk and being stupid. But you know something, man? God got a hold of me, man, and transformed my mind and, and set me free. That's what God's going to do to you. If you don't quit, you won't lose. Keep coming. Some of you men that go to this church, you need to hook, you need to get with this brother right here. Amen. Take him out for coffee every day. Hang out with him. Talk to him. Amen. If I was here, I'd take you out every day and we'd talk and chat. Amen. And, but there's good men in this church that can get with you. Amen. Praise God. How many, how many in this place 
honestly, before God, I'm not sending, we're not sending you out tonight, but you feel sometime in the future God could use you to pastor a church. Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Look at that. Put your hand down. How many of you feel a call to the mission field? You've, that's been your desire. Maybe in your heart you thought God put a country on your mind somewhere. You thought about it. Hold your hand up. Look at that. Hallelujah. Whoa! Pray for this pastor, this guy right here in the checkered shirt. Will you go lay your hands on his shoulder? God uses pastor with healing. He needs to get surgery. Just extend your hands over everybody. Yes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare healing. For no surgery, put ligaments together, fix everything right now. Do a miracle for his faith and for your glory, Jesus. For everything that's torn. Put it back together, just like you did Pastor Marshall's knee. In Jesus' name, Father, heal him right now for your honor and your glory. By your stripes he's healed. In Jesus' mighty name, Father God. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Begin to move it around and you'll see God's done something. Amen. Amen. Right before we go. If everybody that's here would just step back a few steps. I'm going to do one thing real quick. Pastor just hit on it. We're just going to make it a little more official. We are a church planting church and fellowship. We have to plant churches. We have to plant churches. It's not that we maybe should or maybe we should. We have to plant churches. And there are people out there that need you to answer your call. So this morning, if you are, and I don't have time to get into doctrine, pastors are, are males. They're men, okay? It's in the Bible. So it's a man preaching, and it's, so we've had times in the past where, and there's nothing wrong because a woman's like, use me, and think, and you know why women have to preach sometimes? Because men don't do it. But biblically, a man is a pastor, and the pastor together is a couple. And so if you're here and you're a man and you have a wife, or if you're here and you are a man and you are looking for a wife, where's Jose at? I want you to step forward with Brianna first. Amen. He's looking for a wife. Okay. All right, Peter. Ladies, I introduce you to Peter from Zambia. Very sharp-dressed man with the call of God on his life. Ladies that are single. Jose used to come every time we would do this for years. And we said, God's got that wife for you. And he did better than we could have ever thought. Amen? What an what a awesome woman. Right? Didn't he do better? So he came forward, and we, we just kept saying, God's got that wife. So now, men, with your wives, if you'll be willing, or if you're a man looking for a wife, if, if God spoke to you, it's not me, just like Pastor, God spoke to Pastor and I, if you'd be willing, if God said, I want you to preach, I want you to go and preach, if you'd be willing, like you said, we're not going to send you out tomorrow. We're not going to send you out next week. But if you'd just be willing, I want you to make a clear step forward towards this altar. Just come forward. If you'd be willing. If the Lord spoke to you, you'd be willing to go. Just come. Come forward. Come on, brother. I don't, it doesn't matter if you just started coming. Amen. Don't matter. Come forward. Come on. Let's give them a hand as they come. You'd be willing. You'd be willing. Amen. Look at all these. 
Look at these. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 21 churches we could plant out of this church. Amen. Amen. Now listen, this, this sometimes it can seem like hype. So we're excited and we're emotional. And, that, and some might have done it. It doesn't matter. You're saying, God, I'm willing. Some of you step forward and you're sh shaking, scared to death. It's scary. And that's why churches don't get planted, because everybody's afraid. It's not a coincidence that Pastor Marshall's here. He's, had, he's been out when he was still learning, and he's had some churches where he was still raw. And they weren't failures, but he didn't stay in that church. But he kept going. He kept going, and he kept going. And I said Friday night, he's one of my heroes. Him and Sharice are my heroes because they just keep fighting. And they don't stop fighting. And now they're pastoring a tremendous church in Denver. And if they had stopped, he wouldn't be preaching to us this morning. If they would have stopped, there's people in Denver that wouldn't know Jesus today because of them. So somebody's got your name. The city's got your name on it. And as we said in the first service, church, we, we've, we've got six months till a conference. Five months. We need to plant some churches. Are you ready? Is anybody ready? Nope. Were we ready? Nope. We're still not ready. We're still learning. We're still getting it together. But we got to start some churches. And the one thing that he's mentioned over and over, and we've been talking about this, is what's lacking. The only thing that's lacking, I'm going to tell you the one thing that's lacking. It's not willingness. It's one thing that's lacking. It's self-motivation. When we got saved, no one had to beg me to go to outreach. No one had to ask me to clean the bathrooms. No one had to ask. I was like, put me in, coach. And, and there was a fire burning in my heart. It's Jeremiah 29. 20 verse 9, Jeremiah said, I can't do this no more. I can't preach no more. And you might get like that. You're going to get moments where you want to quit. And it says, there's, but there's a fire burning in my heart that I cannot quench. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't, I can't say no. I got to go. So I, my prayer this morning for all of you is, is, is beyond hype is that God would put a fire in your heart right now that would burn. It would burn tonight. It would burn next week. It would burn in the middle of the night. It would burn every day until you do something about it. Until you answer the call. There's a lot of potential. Church, we, we're in the signs of the times right now. We don't have much time. We've got to go. We've got to start. We've got to do it. And I believe that God will accelerate things. I believe God will give us quick harvests. But you've got to put yourself in position. You've got to say, put me in, coach. You've got to come to me, not me to you, and say, what do I need to do? How do I get myself in position to pastor? And what you got to start doing is making a buzz in this church. You need to start winning people to the Lord. You need to start a small group. You need to do Bible studies. You need to, you need to have people in this church that you've won to the Lord. Amen? That's what it's about. Three of my best friends that were, not, that were friends before they were disciples in this place are standing here in this congregation around. Dwayne, Brian, and David are all willing to go preach. I met them on the basketball court. I don't say that to toot my horn. You have to have fruit. You have to have fruit. You're not going to get fruit when you go out to pastor. You got to get fruit now. And we got to, you have to be making such a buzz in this church that everybody's going, dude, we got to get them out. They got to go. They got to go. They're doing too much here. They got to go start their own church. That's what, that's what we need. Not, oh, will you go? Well, yeah, I'll go. We'll see what happens. We need, we need to get going. So I'm going to have pastor pray over here. There's an anointing here. There's an impartation here because he's doing it. He's not talking about it. He's doing it. And there's nobody here. You can make all the excuses you want. You cannot have more excuses than he could have. 
There's nobody here that's been through more than he's been through. I'm sorry. Maybe little things here and there, but he's, he's been through it all, and he's still preaching. So there's an impartation, and it's God's timing. We didn't do this last month. We've been doing this for years, every beginning of the year. But out of all these, all this, all this uh, what's it called, potential, we need something to happen out of potential because potential is not going to make it. We need something to happen. How many will believe this morning that as he prays, that fire will burn in your hearts?